right, welcome in everybody to the next edition of the Salt City Hoops podcast. My name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of saltcityhoops.com. Ben Dowsett is out of town today. He's in the lovely nation of Canada, Toronto actually, where his family is from. So um, we have Clint Johnson, one of our other featured writers. Our, you, you were our draft expert most of the year, but I still want to get your opinions. You've got some great insight on the Gordon Hayward thing, the free agency thing, and and you know, honestly, you write really good stuff. So thanks for being here, and um, say hello. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for having me, Andy. And yeah, it's a, it's an exciting time to be a jazz fan. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it really is. And I, I think that was shown last night, but how many people came out to this open scrimmage? I mean, it, it was crazy. This is a summer league team, right? Like, this is, this is the team. This isn't the main team. We're talking about practice is really what I'm trying to say practice. here. Practice. Uh, we talking about practice. Yeah, like, I, I, it's incredibly impressive that the Jazz were able to sell out. I, I, I mean, I guess the tickets were free, but to get enough people here from a small Salt Lake City community to fill the lower bowl for what amounts to Trey Burke, Dante Exum, and Rodney Hood, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess Rudy Gobert's there too, and and he's a little bit of a draw. But really, there's the Jazz fans came out last night in huge numbers for one eighth of the next of next year's team. I, you know, maybe one fourth, but you know. That's that's impressive. That shows that Jazz fans still really care about this franchise. You know, I, I think there was a lot of cognitive dissonance, let's put it that way, with regards to Ty Corbin's career. And, and now that Quinn Snyder's in place and there's the new there's there's new hope around this team and especially Dante Exum helps a lot, but again, it is an exciting time to be a Jazz fan and I, I think last night's scrimmage showed that. Uh, I want to the big news of the week is that Gordon Hayward did indeed receive the maximum extension from uh, the Charlotte Bob Hornets, Horn Cats, whatever. Um, and so I, I want to talk about that a little bit. I, it's kind of been beaten to death, and it sounds like the Jazz will match. Um, you know, th- while they haven't come out and said it because that would, you know, legally probably get them in trouble, they're leaking it to everyone who's ever asked that the Jazz will match. You know, it's just a matter of waiting the 72. 70- two hours so you know at least they don't have the cap space to sign marvin williams in the meantime and so i I wanted to talk just a little bit about that i I think the discussion's a little bit saturated right now but i want to get your opinions on it because you you have some reservations on matching gordon hayward talk to me a little bit about that i do have reservations and i'll qualify that with um i won't be disappointed if they match the offer i think that it's understandable um, there's a chance that it may be the right decision, but just in terms of odds, I'm not certain that I don't think that it is the best decision. And my reasoning has to do with um, the time, the place, the player. There's a lot of factors that go into it. And I just think that um, right now, I I don't think that this would be the best move for the Jazz. And I also wonder if it's the best move for Gordon Hayward, to tell you the truth. Huh. I mean, based on how he played last season when he was clearly trying to play himself into being worthy of such a contract. Right. I mean, we all saw the weight that that placed on him. Um, personally, I think that the weight will only increase once he has the contract. And I think that patience uh, from fans, hopefully not from other players, but even that's possible, will, uh, if anything, only increase the burden. And I'm not certain that this is the best. Uh, do you think, 
Sorry. To no, go ahead. But do you think that's a it'll increase the on court burden because I think it increases the burden off the court. Absolutely, I think fans will demand significantly more from him than they've ever expected before, and uh, and honestly, I think that will get on him at least a little bit in terms of his off the court demeanor and that sort of thing. I mean, we've seen it from a lot of players, and I think one fans that jazz fan one thing that jazz fans don't have a lot of is patience, and right. you know we've learned that they've got the knowledge, they've got the the enthusiasm. But if someone's not performing on a max contract, we've seen that recipe in the past that it's it's kind of an ugly scenario. That being said, under a new system in Quinn Snyder with new people who can take more of the on-the-court role, on-the-court possessions especially, don't you think that helps his production at least? Or do you, do you think it's kind of counterbalanced by this off-the-court pressure that it'll feel? Well, I'm I'm not certain that the he's going to have that much more help than he did last season. To be perfectly honest, I mean the majority of um, the majority of the major pieces look to be the uh, the same. Uh, Dante Exum, I don't believe, is going to be ready to be a major contributor this season, <clears throat> and so. Um, if you offer him a max contract, how do you then simultaneously in the context of this jazz team say you're no longer our primary option? How do you say, you know, we're shifting that burden over to whom? That's a good point. But I, I think the hope is that this new Quinn Snyder offense about sharing the ball and whatnot, getting in to more of these flow sets allows kind of the, the top, first of all, the ball handlers, the point guard and shooting guard to run a little bit more, hope, hopefully getting some more open looks. And I think just less of the half-court burden on him because it will be more of a motion offense. There will be more uh, you know, of the Spurs-style passing and shooting where you can see anybody of the five guys on the floor score rather than necessarily trying to force it through Gordon Hayward on the wing, wing pick and roll, and then run things from there. You know, I, I, I think the Jazz will probably be a little bit more creative than they were last season. And that's a hope. I mean, I, I agree that... There are some reservations, and you know, I think one of the most important things we learned last night is that Dante Exum probably isn't ready to take on the superstar role that kind of Jazz fans expect from him. Uh, hope at not least yet. That he can get not yet. It. Right. I mean, he's 18 years old, right? And <laughs> I forget that sometimes because he is the number five pick in in one of the best drafts ever. Hmm. You expect a lot from him, but yeah, he's only 18. I, I think he showed last night that he's probably not going to be scoring 15, 20 points a game his first year in the league. So, yeah, now I think you're right that maybe Hayward becomes the de facto number one option again because, again, who else is there? That being said, I think the system helps him out a whole lot more than it did last season. I think it has the potential to. Um, I, I'm a, as big a proponent of Quinn Snyder as there's been. But that being said, I do think that we need to kind of wait and see what's he going to do as, you know, turnovers mount. Because he, he talked about putting a little randomness into the system, and I love that. But it takes uh, fortitude for a coach because when you do that with a young team, you're going to have more mistakes. And, uh, you know, will he uh, will he you know, be willing to absorb those mistakes, continue to allow that randomness in the system to allow that pace? Um, I think the answer is yes, but I think we need to see, you know, in a lot of ways, he's, he's, um, a fairly unknown quantity in this capacity as well. So, I mean, there are a lot of variables in play and I just see that there's a lot of different ways that I think that, um, that this could be problematic with that contract and this player. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Uh, We, you know, I, I hope for the best from Quinn Snyder and I wrote about this in the triple team yesterday that, 
he is acting significantly different than Ty Corbin did as head coach. You know, being always involved with the fans, um, being really, really excited to talk X's and O's basketball with everyone. I mean, he grabbed the mic from Craig Bullerjack last night and demanded to talk about X's and O's. And it was funny because Craig Bullerjack was like, you know, I understand that you can't necessarily say all these things in front of 10,000 people. And Quinn Snyder was like, no, no, let me, you know, let me get into this and started using these bas- you know, basketball terms and things that, you know, maybe not everybody would understand. But he talked again and again about the intelligence of jazz fans um, and, and how excited he was to talk about the X's and O's with them. I don't think previous coaching staffs would have done that. That being said, Ty Corbin talked a lot about pace. And the Jazz were a very slow team last season. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it wasn't that he talked once about pace at the beginning of the season. It was, uh, you know, this is something that we should try to do throughout. Um, and e- even in seasons past, it wasn't just a last season thing. So I-, I think part of it is you can't just implement pace, right? You right. kind of also have to have the players for it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And one of the things that I've uh, just slightly tangentially that I really, really like about Quinn Snyder is uh, I've long believed that because of the makeup of the NBA, coaching is disproportionately teaching. And um, in an interview, he said <clears throat> when he was talking about his staff that he had guys who were who were good and who wanted to coach, and by coach he meant teach. Yeah. Uh, that's maybe the single most hopeful sign I've heard from uh, a jazz head, jazz head coach in literally years. So I'm I'm stoked about uh, about Snyder. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like, and again, I I don't want to hate on Ty Corbin too much because I'm not the Ty Corbin hater. But uh, I think it is an interesting difference between this coaching staff and the last one that they were all about that the player needs to work on their own games to make themselves better, right? It's all about working hard and improving what you do off the court and if that doesn't work, work harder. You know what I mean? Kind of, and, and honestly, that's the Jerry Sloan point of view too. And he's the Hall of Fame coach. I understand how and why Ty Corbin has that perspective. But that being said, it sounds like Quinn Snyder has a much more idea that it's an active coaching process for the coaching staff to put in time with these guys to build the relationships with the young players, so that that way they actually feel comfortable learning these things, um, you know, the right way. I guess. Yeah, I I think that's one reason why I have been so excited about the hires. I think he has a strong track record of doing that. Uh, I think his exposure to multiple systems and and honestly multiple levels and places where the game is played has uh, inculcated in him I, I think a level of creativity and I think that's really important in a uh, in a coach because it uh, he mentioned being adaptable several times during his introductory press conference. And I think that's really important because I think that is one thing that um, Coach Corbin and at some points Jerry Sloan was criticized for mm-hmm. was uh, perhaps not being as adaptable within the flow of a single game or across the course of a season, how to implement you know, new players, young players. Uh, that adaptability I think will be very helpful. And I do think that that will help um, ensure Gordon Hayward is is probably going to be more successful rather than less successful. Because I think if th- something isn't working, I think there's going to be a faster turnaround time now than perhaps in past seasons about making adjustments to try to tweak things for, for better effect. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I, I think that's going to be interesting to see. The other thing on this point is that he says that he enjoys learning from the players in practice. And I think that's interesting. If 
you know, he talked about a play in that same interview when he talks about the coaching and teaching that there was a play in which they were running it, they were doing the set as they wanted, and then one of the defenders picked off the ball, kind of either fronted or you know, did something that blew the play up. And he kind of realized maybe now was not the right time to practice this play. You know, it's we're too early. We're it's not this play isn't working out for us. It's not going to go in summer league. We'll wait for this until training camp or whatever. But that's kind of interesting to say. Okay, this didn't work one time. The players have figured it out. Maybe this isn't the right thing. And he actually went out and actually had the coaching staff run this separate and actually run this play a different way in order for them to talk about that in, in the next couple of days practice. So you're right that he's adaptable, that he's learning from the players is excellent. Um, and, and the players seem to love him so far. They, they say there's more freedom, and I think we can talk about that a little bit more. Right now, though, we have our, the founder of Salt City Hoops, the, the esteemed founder, Salt, uh, Spencer Hall on the phone. I wanted to get his thoughts on Summer League um, coming up that actually starts tomorrow, which I'm excited for. Um, both Spencer and I will be heading down to Las Vegas to cover it for Salt City Hoops, or at least I'll be covering it. I don't know how much writing and input Spencer will have, but at least you're on the show today. Spencer, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're headed down to Vegas. How long are you staying for? I'll be there through Sunday. Okay, so you're actually going to be there longer than I am. Um, I wanted to have you on the show to talk about Summer League because, in my mind, you're like the original Summer League blogger. You're like <laughs> on Free Darko. You, you're, what was your name again? Pichi Campana something? Yes, that's right. Nicely done. I was named after a, a famous Argentine player. <laughs> so, and under the pseudonym, you, you were like the Summer League guy. You, you, of course, you went to the Rocky Mountain Review when it was here kind of took pictures and reported on the sights and sounds of Summer League before I think anyone else was really talking about what goes on at Summer League. Before then, it was like this black box of <laughs> young guys who play basketball and, and important basketball men who watch them. So, uh, uh, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, it was funny because back then, I mean, the Summer League didn't get a lot of hype. I mean, there were other little Summer Leagues. There was the Drew League, and there were these little pro-ams that players would play in. And the, the, the Rocky Mountain Review, of course, had been famous. But the guys I was writing for with Free Darko, most of them were back east. So I just pitched the idea, you know, I'm close to Vegas. Why don't I go down and cover it? And I had a blast. I mean, <laughs> I look back on those days. I, I read a post the other day from something I wrote. And first of all, it's like reading stuff you wrote when you were in the sixth grade. I was embarrassed. <laughs> in but it was so fun to see. I mean, for someone who's a junkie, there's nothing like going to Summer League. I mean, no matter where you can find it, those opportunities where you, you look to your left and it's Jeff Van Gundy, and you look to the other side and it's, uh, you know, the whole coaching staff from the Warriors or Don Nelson, you know, something like that. I don't know. It, it was funny. I, I was with a friend who isn't a basketball fan, and her telling me later what it was like to watch me, literally kid in a candy shop, you know, I mean, I guess not literally, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it was just fun to hear. Like, for those of us who love this kind of thing, and for someone like me who is is interested in the culture of the NBA as much as the actual games, there's nothing better than Summer League. Yeah, and uh, that really came out in that post. I know you're embarrassed about it now, but when Chris, <laughs> uh, Chris, by the way, was the founder of SLC Dunk, so we have like this great meeting of blog minds on Twitter and and knowing what happened in 2007. Um, 
I read through it, and yeah, I, it's just one of those things you say. You you saw Kevin Durant at the Rocky Mountain Review, kind of like off to the side, and you interacting with a grandma at some point. Um, I I just think it's interesting. How much do you think it's changed since then? I guess like well, how quickly has it changed? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No. Yeah, it's pretty dramatic. I mean, those early days at the Vegas Summer League. Um, you know, I don't think even that first year they even played in the Thomas and Mac. They did everything in the the little side gym. I'm blanking on the name, but it, it you know it doesn't have locker rooms. The guys would just kind of throw on some sweats in their backpacks after a game and and walk out. I mean, it was really amazing. I mean, they didn't even have a place to change. They'd kind of go behind the bleachers and <laughs> and um, you know you could you could hobnob with all the front office people and things, now it's turned into a destination. So people are packing, you know, the big, you know, debuts of the of the top picks. They have the games in the Thomas and Mac. They fill it up. And, um, you know, it's fun. It's still an event. It's still fun. But it's it's always more fun before, you know, it, it, it before was a it's known cool. commodity. You're, you're the Summer League hipster. <laughs> hey, Spencer. What, sorry, what was that? You're the, you're the Summer League hipster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I, I'm over bands that haven't even formed yet. <laughs> <laughs> hey Spencer, one of the things that's always interested me about the summer league is is that it's really its own beast. And you know, <clears throat> NBA basketball is its own beast, and college basketball is its own beast. And uh, for people who aren't really familiar with the summer league, um, take people back to Trey Burke's um, horrendous shooting during the summer league last year, and then how people were going apoplectic about it and. It didn't foretell disaster during the season. Um, so for people who aren't familiar with Summer League, if you had to characterize you know, one or two words or concepts that kind of typify this is what this game is like in Summer League, how would you describe it? Well, I, I'm someone who's watched a lot of D-League basketball, and so it's a little bit like that. I mean, guys are scrapping. There's lots of different talent levels. But, uh, you know, everybody's out there trying to get paid and get seen and and the difference i guess between the d league and the summer league is that the summer league has some guys who have been paid and so they have sometimes different levels of interest and sometimes the coaching staff is trying to hold them out so for me it's never been about the quality of play i mean really it's people sitting in a gym kind of enjoying summer basketball they're a little more relaxed and they'll look up occasionally and then something wild will happen and, and they'll get after it it's more I, I, I for, from a fan experience at least it's more about being around people who are absolute junkies if, you, if you're in Las Vegas in July to watch basketball you're a junkie and to be surrounded with people who are like that is a great time you know when you can talk about someone who is the, an undrafted pick who maybe got a little bit of time here and have, have the person next to you understand what you're talking about and be enthusiastic about that that's a lot of fun um from a player development standpoint you know i think a place like the orlando summer league is probably better for them where there isn't fans are not allowed and they're they're able to have it be more of a coaching environment where they can get there's a lot of distractions in vegas and it's all it's a destination for the fans to try to meet these young players so it's 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 definitely more than just a, a coaching environment. So I'm someone who always is interested in the the experience, the the game day kind of thing. And so for me, it's fascinating. I'm a people watcher, etc. But the on floor product, I mean, no one's gonna 
accuse it of being beautiful basketball. <laughs> Are you surprised that the Jazz moved from Orlando to Vegas, given what you just said? I think their hands were sort of tied. I think more and more teams, it just made sense to be in Vegas. It's easy to fly there. It's easy to get hotels. It's easy to network with other play, uh, you know, other executives. Um, and I think it was just becoming a thing where it made sense for more teams to be there. It probably made less and less sense for anyone to go elsewhere. So I think the Jazz were forced to, into a situation where they thought, we either have to resurrect our Rocky Mountain Review or we have to join the rest of the league and go to Vegas. So I don't think they did it with, uh, I don't think they were excited about it, but I think uh, for all the reasons I've just talked about, um, but I, you know, I, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's anything they need to worry about. I think their concerns were a little bit unfounded, but I get where they may have been coming from. Yeah, no, I, I think that's interesting. I, obviously, for the fans, I think it's better because of you know you can actually attend the games. Yeah, um, and you're right, and kind of interact with these players for the first time that you otherwise wouldn't be able to. Although I should point out that the Jazz are incredible for opening up that scrimmage last night to the fans. I mean, oh, that was that was a phenomenal time. I mean, can I talk about that for one yeah, second? Yeah, no, I I know you're excited about it. <laughs> well, so you know, I work across the street at KSL. I walked out, it was probably about 5.30, 5.45. The doors weren't going to open until 6. The event was at 7. And to see the lines snake all the way down from the building, down the stairs, and wrap an entire block, and you and I talked about this a little bit last night, a Salt Lake City block is no joke. I mean, it's a mathematical length. I mean, I think no, it's yeah, it's, a, a it's exactly an eighth so, of a mile. <laughs> yeah. I, I did so, look that up and verify it. Okay, good. I don't know if you... I, I missed the first part of the show. I don't know if you talked about it, but that is remarkable. Then the other thing is once they all filled in, I mean, they, they filled in the lower bowl, and I think they estimated it was about 9,000 fans, but that was a big crowd, and it makes you realize that's still less than half of the arena. I mean, it's when all the doors are open and everyone comes in, I mean, we had some slow nights that were, you know, 17,000 or whatever, didn't reach a sellout during the season last year. And it was easy to start thinking like, oh, you know, fans aren't coming out. But it, that that event last night put it in perspective for me that 19,000 fans is a lot of people to come out. But I will say, how how great was it to see all the all the fans in Salt Lake City coming out for that? I mean, they didn't have any expectation probably of seeing great basketball. They wanted to support their team. They wanted to be around other fans. And then I also especially loved Coach Snyder's um, kind of acknowledgement that this was a very intelligent fan base. I loved the way he would say, here's what we're doing here. It felt like a very uh, um, kind of like a booster event for college. It did. College it felt like here. there should be like 40 people there rather than yeah, 9,000. Exactly. Yeah, and, the and kind of thing where you pay a bunch of money and you come and the coach kind of tells you the inside scoop, this is the kind of warm-ups we do and then we do this. I thought it was a phenomenal reward for loyal fans. I thought it was great. I thought it was so cool to see that Salt Lake City has not given up on the Jazz, that hope very much springs eternal. And if they can put an exciting product on the on the floor next year, I think, you know, they're right back in it as kings of Salt Lake City. This may be kind of hard to 
to to quantify or even qualify, but I'm going to ask you to try. How much of that hope, and I think it's impossible to argue that that hope is there, how much of that hope do you think stems from just the nature of change itself? A lot of people have been dissatisfied with a number of things the, the past few seasons or perhaps even a little more than the past few seasons, and things are very different now. And it's always easy to hope when you're moving from something that didn't satisfy you to change. And how much of that hope do you think is rooted in individual choices that the team has made with the hiring of the coach, with the players they've procured? Um, just like your thoughts on on that angle. Yeah, no question, no question. I mean, everybody's curious. People want to know who's this coach, what's he about, you know, who are these players. Um, you know, none of us had seen Exum play, you know, and I still can't pronounce his name properly. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't come to a final pronunciation uh, level, you know. No, but, I mean, everybody was coming out to kind of see what it's about. So you're right. I think there's a certain level of change, but I, I think it speaks well of the fans. The fans are very forgiving. I think there were some things, there was a lot of dissatisfaction over the last couple seasons. I think uh, the fans showed some patience, and the team rewarded them with uh, some changes that I think they're excited about. And, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think anyone needs to wring their hands over what the reasons are, but the evidence is people are still very interested in the jazz, and uh, I think that's a great thing. Yeah, I, I think it's a, instructive that the last couple of years of losing and slash whatever else haven't turned people permanently off the jazz, and I think that's what a lot of people are afraid of, and even the marketing people within the team, I, I think it was reasonable to expect, you know, maybe these people are just RSL slash U of U fans slash, you know, are turned off from this game forever. That's not the case. Even after a 25-win season, you can still bring them back in with, you know, making the right sort of hires and, and making right draft picks. Yeah, and they've done, I, I have to give the team credit for uh, their game night um, kind of atmosphere. I mean, they've done the upgrades to the arena. The new video screens are beautiful. Um, you know, even at the, the the soccer events that they've been hosting, the World Cup uh, yeah. viewing parties, those are great events. The arena is looking amazing. I've been saying this on Twitter, but how remarkable is it that they have an arena paid off and, you know, they're able to put some money in it and still have it be a great um, venue I mean that's that's they're in a great spot, you know, small market, but you've got your finances in order, and you've got a beautiful facility. You've got uh, a young upcoming team. You've got an exciting new coach who seems to connect to the fan base. They've got a lot of reasons to be excited, and I'm sure those marketing people are over the moon right now. Yeah, Dante Exum's accent, that accent. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You don't even have to trot out uh, our. Our guy Neto, you know, <laughs> you already got a guy with an accent. Yeah, yeah. keep him in Brazil. We've already got the accent <laughs> heartthrob. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I totally am on board with what you're saying, and it's it's really it is a cool time to be a jazz fan. Um, I, I've already kept you longer than I want to keep you away. I'm sure if KSL.com is crashing right now, um, <laughs> I, I deeply apologize. So we're just gonna unplug it. Fridays are gonna be unplugged <laughs> from now on. <laughs> Well, if, if it means that you join us on the show more often, then that, that would be great news. Thanks again for joining no, us, Spencer. Thanks, for having well, me, thanks Spencer. See you Good as stuff. soon as tomorrow down in Vegas. We'll see you. All right. I, I love having him on the show because, you know, not only is he the spiritual father of Salt City Hoops uh, and literal father in that he, you know, 
made the website and, and coded it and whatever else. But uh, he also has like this incredible passion for the game. And, and Spencer's really interesting that he always finds a way to like somehow have a relationship with everybody in the room. Like No matter if it's the Dennis Lindsay or Alex Jensen or you know some guy from New York he always like has met these guys before has introduced himself and talked about basketball and everyone knows who he is like he just has all these stories of like sitting next to Gordy Chiesa for his season or you know oh this one time me and ex player hung out at Vegas Summer League 8 years ago like he's one of those guys who's secretly knowledgeable about the game and then uh, kind of shares that in weird ways so and in a lot of ways, I'm really glad that he's he's the founder of Salt City Hoops. Of course, I'm glad that now he's kind of passed the day-to-day task to me. But, um, I, I mean, Spencer's awesome is all I'm trying to say. Anyway, uh, are you excited for Summer League? I am. V- very much so. Did you? And uh, as another question, do you, did you attend the scrimmage last night? I did not. I was okay. not able to. Okay, so... Summer League is going to be kind of your first chance then to actually see these guys in action. Yeah. What do you want to see out of the team, you know, either from a system-wise or what are you looking for from individual players? What what are you looking for over the next couple of weeks from these guys uh, in their kind of first action for you to to see them? Um, Quinn Snyder mentioned uh, several times uh, individual players being in a stance, being in a defensive stance. And... um, I think that sounds very simple, but it's also a very astute and actionable um, uh, observation because uh, good defense kind of starts there. And I think that while defense was uh, emphasized by certainly, you know, word, uh, we don't know necessarily to the degree of deed in the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, Again, this is something that previous generations have promised and then the Jazz were last in the league as one jazz official told me last year it would be difficult to be worse than they were last. yeah yeah and and i and my personal belief is that some of that comes from uh frequently wanting to speak in generalities at least that's what we got as fans you know i think that's what even the media got was very often you know you work hard and things will get better we'll keep trying we'll keep slogging we'll keep you know all all these different euphemisms um where you know, he's saying, I like it that they're in a stance. It gives us something that we can look for. And I think one thing that I will look for is just um, very basic, very elemental, but very necessary defensive um, uh, habits uh, in summer league. So I want to see is the effort there on defense, but not only just, you know, running around everywhere, but uh, are they down in a stance? You know, how, how are they competing? If they get beat, do they give up? Uh, especially players like Trey Burke. Uh, I'm going to put a lot of my focus on him. Of course, I'll be watching Dante Exum. Uh, uh, by the way, just regarding Trey Burke, Quinn Snyder's putting a lot of, of emphasis on Trey Burke's defense as well. I mean, I asked him about this last night. He said one of his favorite plays of the game last night was when Trey Burke actually picked up a foul going over the screen on pick-and-roll defense. Uh, he's talked about pick-and-roll defense specifically as, as maybe the most important thing that he's trying to change right away. And so for Trey to continue to fight over that was, was encouraging for him. And I asked Trey about that as well, and he said, you know, yes, it's a focus that is actually something I'm trying to do that's, that's different. During the course of an 82-game season, sometimes you allow yourself to go under to save you that, that effort, you know. Um, but it ends up hurting your team, and it ends up giving your guy a lot of space to to operate to make things happen 
I, I think that's just to build on your point, that's the kind of specific thing that I'm looking for is how successful are these specific changes that he's trying to make. Yeah, and, and I think that's going to be as key as any point of emphasis for these guards because it is something that Trey struggled with last year. Uh, he has the reach to be a much better defender than he was, but he was, especially in the pick and roll, he was a real vulnerability last last year. Yeah. And when it comes to Dante, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's not only been the best player on the court almost every game that he's always, always played, he's probably two or three levels above any of his competition. And it's quite natural that a player like that who has the ball in his hands all the time offensively is going to coast on defense because he can. And that's what he did based on all the footage that we've seen is that he would coast on defense. He would only really exert effort if there was an an opportunistic play that was, you know, within arm's reach. And, uh, and so far, I mean, it's three days, it's one, it's one scrimmage, but uh, the reports have been good that he's exerting that effort there. Uh, Coach Snyder, even suggested that may be one reason other than being excited why he perhaps didn't perform as well offensively as he hoped to is because he thought he was tired because it takes energy to play defense well. Yeah. And uh, it looks like Dante is um, thus far is, is applying himself uh, that way. And it looks like the coaching staff is really going to demand that of the backcourt. And I think that's incredibly important for this jazz team. I think it's really encouraging that that was the best part of Dante Exum's game last, because uh, it, it, it was the worry that, and he referenced it himself, that the knock on him is that he doesn't play defense. Well, he showed last night that he absolutely can play defense, especially on the ball perimeter defense, using his length to even stand off the guy a little bit and then either allow to cut off the drive or contest a shot because you know, at six six and his length, he's going to be a lot longer than the people he's matched up against. He can use that sort of length. Um, I didn't think his off the ball defense was as good, and uh, and Quinn kind of alluded to that, saying, you know, there were parts of the defense I liked and parts that I didn't. Uh, but that's going to be that's that's a team system sort of thing. You know, you don't expect a guy to come in two days into a, a training camp or a mini camp or whatever this is and get the whole team defensive concept. That's kind of what you need for off-the-ball defense. But it's encouraging to see him put in that perimeter on the ball defense right away. Because if he can't make an impact offensively in his 18-, 19-year-old season rookie year right away, defense is how he's going to be able to keep himself in games. Yeah, and, and given his physical tools, that's that's an area where with just getting the fundamentals down, getting the effort down, and then having a, a fair awareness of the defensive scheme, he can make a defensive impact right away because he is physically gifted with that speed and that stature. Yeah, I, I wonder. You know, I wonder again if he will over the course of an eighty-two game season for the same reasons that you know Trey Burke got tired. Dante Axum probably will too. Yeah. Um, he's already kind of referenced that the altitude has gotten to him, and he, uh, presumably he'll get a, a acclimated to that. Um, but you know. It's difficult for an 18-, 19-year-old, I guess he'll be 19 by the time the season begins, to play against what are significantly larger men that he, than he's ever played against in his life. Yeah, and and <clears throat> Coach Snyder did mention that that's something that he anticipates is this is a very young team uh, with a, a shift toward more perimeter play. We're going to be a slight team. We're not going to have as much physical strength uh, or maturity as a lot of the teams that the Jazz play. And so they probably will get out-muscled. And so a large part of this season that I'm looking to see, uh, and some of this I want to see even in Summer League, is just uh, going up against oftentimes grown men 
who are physically stronger, uh, some of them who are playing for jobs. They're going to be incredibly aggressive. Um, it's it's rough physical play sometimes. I think a lot of people don't understand just how physical even now the NBA can be. I mean, it's not back in the 80s or 90s, but still, these are these are big, strong athletes, and there's a lot of physicality on the court. Uh, I want to see how some of these young jazz players um, hold up against that and kind of combat mentally and through um, and through uh, preparation, speed, uh, areas where they may have uh, more of an advantage. So that those are things that I'll be looking at. Yeah, that's interesting. I think the the in some ways the NBA has you know it's less bang bang kind of physical, but I think it's more physically exhausting at times because of how the pace of the game has changed, especially yeah. in the last five years. And at the D-League and the Summer League level, that pace then goes up even more as, as more turnovers happen. And honestly, guys want to play more offense and defense sometimes. Um, and so I, I think it'll be interesting to see how he deals with that, that physicality that you talk about. I want to ask just quick before we get into the, my, favorite trades, uh, my, my favorite segment, the crazy trade idea of the week. What? How good do you think the Jazz will be defensively this season? You know, how big of a jump can they really make from the 30th in the league performance last season? Uh, given the system, you know, the players are mostly the same, with yeah. the exception of Exum and Hood. But um, and you know, we obviously don't have a finalized roster yet. Steve Novak probably isn't helping very much <laughs> on defense. But how how much of a change can the system and this sort of emphasis really make? Uh, I think that's the question. I mean. Huh. <laughs> I would I would be ecstatic if they could move to around twentieth. Okay. I think uh, personally, I think reasonably, if they were to jump about five spots, I think that would be productive. I also depends think it depends on personnel. I mean, um, I, I think the elephant in the room in that in that regard is what is going to happen with Ennis Cantor. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> you know, it's just impossible to ignore um, the favors Cantor conundrum. And last season, I think one of the points of real frustration by fans is I don't think we saw enough on-court time to determine if the liabilities that we were seeing with that tandem are just inherent to both of them or if that's something that they could work out with more time, with more coaching. Uh, I anticipate that that will be seen this season, and I think the answer to that question will, will really determine the potential for growth on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I, I I totally agree, and I, I think that's the key point of the season is, uh, again, Quinn Snyder talks about defense, and he's actually putting it on guys individually to see how how good each of them can be defensively. Now can they put it all together in a system that makes sense? Um, for 82 games, like you say. Yeah, for 82 games, and especially with guys like, you know, the big challenge will be, as you point out, Ennis Cantor can he get that guy to play defense consistently. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a challenge that coaches have tried and failed at in the past. Let's put it that way. Um, okay, so I want to get into the crazy trade idea of the week. This one's kind of, it's dependent on a couple of things. Um, so the idea is to, with the Jazz having some salary cap space, especially before they match Gordon Hayward's contract. So in the next 36 hours, I believe, is, is all that's left before the Jazz have to give the say-so on that deal. The Jazz actually have more salary cap space because the cap hold for Gordon Hayward is at, at the about $8 million level, and of course his contract's about at about $15 million per year. So in the meantime, the Jazz have about 6 to $7 more, uh, million dollars more to spend. Uh, also in the meantime, it sounds like Carmelo Anthony is about to make a decision. 
reports say that he wants to go back to the Knicks in order to get the most amount of money possible. But let's say for a moment, because it's the crazy trade idea of the week, that he chose to go to Chicago. And honestly, I think that's probably the best basketball fit for him, right? You get to play against Derek, uh, with Derrick Rose. You get a center behind you to kind of uh, cover up your defensive defi- deficiencies a little bit. And Joakim Noah... Um, and if LeBron James goes to Cleveland, that young team, I don't think that they're the favorite next year. There's a gaping hole in the Eastern Conference. Right. Like, uh, you would almost expect the Chicago Bulls to have more wins than yeah. a LeBron Cleveland team. I, I, I think if Melo were to go there, I think they would instantly become the favorites in the Eastern Conference. No, I, I think that's reasonable. So, in order to do that, though, they need to open up space in order to give Carmelo the amount of money he wants. And as everyone's pointed out, Carmelo's never given up any money in a transaction. He's always gone for the most money possible in, in what is you know, his prerogative. Um, so the idea is the Jazz to take on Carlos Boozer's expiring contract, which is $16.8 million. I know fans are excited about the return of Carlos Booze. Booze. <laughs> I, I love, first of all, I love Carlos Boozer. I love the, the announcement of him and the half serious, half some of the fans for at the introductions for Carlos Boozer are, are pro Carlos Boozer. Some of them are anti Carlos Boozer. Everybody boos because you know it's, he has a brilliant name for who he is. Let's put it that way. But I, I think he's an interesting fit because the Jazz could then extract uh, a prospect like Nikola Mirotic, the um, basically probably the number one European prospect right now. Um, in exchange for taking on the salary cap money, in order for Chicago to sign Carmelo Anthony, which, again, would be the difference maker in the East. It's absolutely worthwhile for them to maybe lose that in case they need to give up Boozer's expiring deal. So I want in order for the salary cap to work, you probably have to give up a couple of the non-guaranteed guys because um, 16.8 is probably more than the Jazz have under the cap right now. So you probably have to give up a couple of the Eric Murphys, John Lucas III's, Malcolm Thomas, uh, Ian Clarks that are making in that $750,000 range. Um, just in order to make it add up so that it can fit under the cap. But do you like the idea? Do you think it makes sense? Do you like the return of Carlos Boozer? You know, on the court, I actually think this makes quite a lot of sense, to tell you the truth. It makes sense. I, yeah, for for those who don't know about uh, Mirotic, um a lot of people think that if, if he'd been in this draft class, he would have been a top six talent. Wow. Okay, so that's, I mean, that's we're a big ta- deal. Yeah, we're talking we're talking about a really good prospect here. Um, I mean, he's the the prime reason why um, the Bulls see no problem whatsoever in getting rid of Boozer is that they think that they'll save him money and they don't think they're going to lose that much on the court. I mean, this this is a really good player. Um, <clears throat> and you know, that being said, if you sign Carmelo Anthony, you probably stick him at. I mean, you. I don't know if he would stick him at the power forward or small forward spot, right. but. Uh, Naturally takes away a lot of minutes for either Maradich or, or right Boozer. exactly, which is I mean, this this is a crazy trade that a lot of aspects of this aren't as crazy as they seem. Now, okay. now now the surface value of Carlos Boozer in a Jazz jersey jersey once again. Now that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, in, in <laughs> all sorts jerseys. of yeah, all sorts of delicious ways. Here's what I think is interesting about Carlos Boozer, and, and no one really gave him enough credit for from everything that I've heard. Carlos Boozer was a true leader of those Houston, of those Western Conference Finals teams, if you will, the 2006-07 Jazz. 
Darren Williams was kind of the on-the-court leader, and Carlos Boozer was the positive, rah-rah guy that kind of naturally counterbalanced Darren's natural surliness. Yeah. Um, and I think it would be interesting to have that sort of presence in a locker room, especially as the Jazz are expected to you know, probably lose more games than they'll win next season, and to have someone who is positive there, who is the grab-that-rebound memo kind of mm-hmm. happy influence on the team. I, I think it wouldn't necessarily be a negative for him either on or off the court to have Boozer fit. And then, as you point out, Maradic is an excellent prospect. You could see him easily slotting into this core youth group that's coming up. How old is he, by the way? Do you have that? I, I'm not certain I have that. I should, I should yeah, I mean, to, to let people know, I, um, I would probably have taken Aaron Gordon over him, but it wouldn't have been an easy decision. Um, so he's 23 years old. Yeah, he's a little older, but he's definitely more skilled than the majority of these freshmen that just came out. He's a good player. He's been playing against uh, professionals for a long time. Um, th- this would this would make a lot of sense in a lot of different ways. So you would do this deal? I would do this deal. Okay. Yeah. Is there you know would you give up more to make it fair? Would you give up a prospect? Would you give up a first round pick? I mean, I this by the way, came from the Jazz fans board. So uh, unlike most of my trades from the the Haiti Real GM message boards, which I can kind of get some perspective from other fans on, this is Jazz fans giving idea to, ideas to other Jazz fans. By the way, thanks, Solin's guy with 286 posts on <laughs> Jazz fans for the idea. But uh, is, you know... Would you be willing to give up more in order to get a prospect? As well, I think you'd have to, to be honest. Okay. I, I think Chicago has other options that they would prefer to to this unless you sweeten the deal. Um, a highly protected first, given the what the Jazz have coming in the next few seasons, I would seriously consider it. Maybe the Golden State 2017 yeah. first? Yeah, yeah. See, something like that, I think, I, I think that may make sense for both teams, and it may be a good move, a, a constructive move for both teams. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we saw last season the Jazz taking on salary in order to get these picks. Now I think it may make sense to start using them in order to get talent, kind of have this confluence of young talent coming into the organization right away. Because, um, you know, maybe a rookie in 2017 doesn't make a whole lot of sense where the youth movement is now. Anyway, I, that was the crazy trade idea of the week, and again, I kind of like it. Uh, it is It does require a lot of different things that, to happen that it doesn't sound like will happen right now, in particular Carmelo choosing to go with the Chicago Bulls. Although in terms of making the NBA as interesting as possible, I think that's the best way to do it. And um, after all, you can only find crazy trade ideas on Salt City. <laughs> all the others that you hear are just are just too reasonable. And so yeah. that's what you come here for. Well, so that's kind of the thing is I want to find crazy trade ideas that actually work under the salary <laughs> cap. Because you can find the crazy like LeBron James for Ian Clark kind of deals. Mm-hmm. The the Jimbo Rudding deal is, <laughs> I think, the official title of that. But I want to find deals that kind of could conceivably work and make you go, hmm, maybe that's not as crazy as I thought. So that that's my hope. Anyway, I, I like that deal. I'm super excited for Summer League. Like I said, both Spencer and I are traveling down there um, to watch the Utah Jazz take on a gauntlet of young players, including Jabari Parker. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, watch for our coverage on saltcityhoops.com. We'll have triple teams after each of those games. and I, I enjoy writing those triple teams. I hope you guys like reading them. Um, thanks again for joining us on this podcast. Have a good one.